0: You're listening to a news story on the audio version of The TIE. Thanks for listening. The TIE is a nonprofit newsroom that is funded by our audience. So, if you appreciate this article and you'd like to help us do more, head on over to support.thetie.ca and become a TIE builder. You choose the amount to give, and you can cancel any time. Bracing for Disasters By Francesca Fionda, April 3, 2023 The sounds of a siren and bullhorn pull you out of a deep sleep. The red glow of your digital clock reads 3.17 a.m. You've joined the growing number of people forced to flee in the face of climate disasters. Throughout this series, we'll explore what can happen and how others have survived. Over the past several months, the TAI, in partnership with the Climate Disaster Project, has interviewed over a dozen British Columbians displaced by extreme weather-related calamities, frontline workers, and experts, and analyzed data to understand the scale of the threat in this province and whether its government is up to the task. Among our findings. Climate disasters are becoming more frequent and severe. This means entire communities are being evacuated and how much time they'll be out of their homes is increasing. But the safety net is not expanding accordingly. The personal upheaval usually lasts far beyond a few overnights in a shelter or hotel. We scanned the past six years of open government data to learn how long survivors of floods, fires, landslide and sinkholes were ordered by authorities to stay away from their homes. On average, people were evacuated for 22 days. But people could be displaced for even longer. Once an evacuation order is lifted, it does not mean people will have a safe home to return to. Rebuilding could mean people are displaced for weeks or months after an evacuation order ends. No one is keeping track of key displacement measures. No authority is gathering substantive public data on how long evacuated people are truly uprooted and what populations are most affected. That makes planning for response and resilience more difficult. Provincial support systems and decisions are bogged down in bureaucracy. As a result, many evacuees are left in frustrating limbo as they try to navigate refashioning their lives. Indigenous people are especially hard-hit. Across the province, they are approximately four times more likely to be evacuated than non-Indigenous people, according to an analysis done by Jens von Bergman for the Thai. The mental health toll long-term evacuations have on evacuees and frontline staff is tremendous and growing. Many of the frontline staff helping evacuees are volunteers from the same communities hit by disaster and could be evacuees themselves. Recently announced BC funding for disaster response may not be nearly enough, given trends. Insured catastrophic losses are rising across Canada reaching over $3.1 billion in 2022. That estimate doesn't include uninsured damage. You might not always get an emergency alert. Beyond TV and radio announcements, most regional districts have an opt-in emergency system that can send you a text or call. Under some circumstances, the province can put out a warning to people in danger. But even to receive one of those, you will need cell service, still functioning in the middle of a calamity. Sometimes an alert is given out hours or even days ahead of a possible evacuation order so people can get prepared to leave. But some disasters can escalate so quickly that there isn't enough time. There were embers falling on my head. People's backyards were on fire. What I saw was people going up and down the street, banging on doors and making sure that everyone was accounted for, Michelle Feist recalled, describing the moment when she realized Lytton was on fire and she had to make her escape. The 2021 fire in Lytton put BC on the world stage. A heat dome had gripped the south of the province and record-breaking temperatures, killed 619 people. For days, sweltering temperatures lingered reaching 49.6 C on June 29, 2021, the highest ever recorded in Canada. The next day, fire engulfed most of the village and killed two people. More than a year later, Lytton is still under an evacuation order, its people dispersed and wondering how the small village by the confluence of the Thompson and Fraser rivers will ever be home again. In this series, we share the first-hand accounts of Feist and other Lytton survivors. Four and a half months after Lytton burned, British Columbians added another unfamiliar term to our climate vocabulary, atmospheric rivers. These are described as rivers in the sky that can unleash extreme rain. Record-breaking rainfalls and atmospheric rivers brought flooding to southwestern BC. Flooding and landslides killed five people and thousands of animals and livestock while displacing entire communities. It was the most expensive climate disaster in the province's history with an estimated $675 million in insured damages. You couldn't see anything but water, said Dian Brooks, who is among B.C. flood survivors you will meet in this series. The whole backyard was absolutely covered in four feet of water. Her brother Danny Brooks was able to lead their horses to higher ground before taking shelter in the second floor of their home near Princeton. Not until two days later would rescuers arrive by boat. There was no doubt in Ken Pite's mind that everything was going to burn as the wildfire headed towards Lytton. Thick smoke pouring down his street was orange, brown, and yellow, with chunks in it. It was moving 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, Pite said. The wind gusts were insane. Pite knew it was time to go, so he grabbed a handful of clothes that were sitting on a chair and got in his truck. But he didn't drive immediately out of harm's way. He motored back into town, towards danger, to check on friends and neighbors to make sure they could get out safely. He looked in on the nearby deli owner, then an assisted living facility, but didn't find anyone who needed a lift. When he stopped at a gas station, to fill up, a young man came up to him, one bag in tow, desperate for a ride. That gave me some purpose, Pite said. The two of them made their escape, to Leluit. Bravery like Pite's is one reason why more people didn't die as Lytton blazed, fellow survivor Feist reflects. These little actions were going on all over the place. Every single person that could, helped someone. Your community, family, friends, and support networks are what will help you most. Survivors shared what got them through these challenging times. For this series, we prepared and share a detailed guide not only for those crucial first few minutes of escape, but for navigating the next weeks or months, including where to find financial assistance, mental health supports, and culturally specific resources. This series will take you inside the first lines of support set up by local governments or First Nations, and report on what's there to help at these volunteer-run operations. The services they provide are meant to be short-term basic support to people impacted by disasters, according to the provincial government. Help might include vouchers or e-transfers to help pay for lodging, food, travel, clothing, or incidentals. But if you can support yourself for 72 hours, you are not eligible, and if you need support beyond 72 hours, you need to apply to see if you qualify. Our reporting reveals that most climate disaster evacuees now need much more than three days of support. If your home is heavily damaged or destroyed, displacement will stretch much longer. Many of the folks we spoke with had no idea how long they might be away from their communities or how they'd find the money to rebuild. When climate disasters wreak their havoc, who pays for the aftermath? It's a question facing survivors, governments, and insurance companies as the cost of rebuilding rises. We probe, as well, which populations are most vulnerable to assault by extreme weather events. One of many related facts we pulled from the data, since 2017, there have been over 1,400 evacuation orders across the province and about 97% of those lasted over three days. The TAI is grateful for a generous grant from the Lieutenant Governor's BC Journalism Fellowship that allowed our team led by reporter Francesca Fionda to dive deep into a range of interlinked questions. They are of pressing importance to all British Columbians. And the answers, in the not-too-distant future could determine the safety of you and those you love. Thank you to all the climate disaster survivors across the province who shared their stories and invited us into their homes. Billy Sheridan. Danny Brooks. Deanne Brooks. Don Glasgow. Donna Ray. Ken Pite. Maggie Lord. Mika Kingston. Michelle Feist. Owen Collings. Patsy Jesse. Racine Jeff. Rochelle Rupert. Trisha Thorpe. Reporting. Francesca Fionda, the Thai. Files from The Climate Disaster Project, Alden Chuelos, Gage Smith, Gina Mortfield, Michael Lowe, Christina Gervais, Amber Baer, Emily Wren, Sean Holman. Photography. Jen Osborne, Philip McLaughlin. Digital producer and data visualization. Andrew Monroe. Data Analysis Jens von Bergman Fact-Checking Alden Chuelos, Climate Disaster Project Editor David Beers, The TIE Funders This project was funded by the inaugural Lieutenant Governor's BC Journalism Fellowship. The TIE retained complete editorial control of this series. Other Images cropped and edited from originals brian giraldo slash pexels window arun thomas slash pexels phone on table Devin mckay slash unsplash vehicle interior Asep Safelbari slash pexels open door jen osborne cover image thanks for stopping by the Tai today anytime you're in the mood to listen to important stories written well we'll be here and if you'd like to keep independent media going strong